Welcome to the Interlocutor Interviews podcast. I'm Tyler Nessler, the founder of Interlocutor Magazine. And today I have with me author and musician Harper Simon, who has just released a huge collaborative multimedia project titled Meditations on Crime. So welcome, Harper. How are you? Thank you, Tyler. Thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, I'm okay. You know, um, it's hard to uh, focus on anything but the... uh, the news right now it's a rather yeah. grim yeah. couple of days um it's been a bit consuming you know uh oh for sure hard yeah. to sort of think or talk about anything else in a way um although i haven't really been engaging uh too much too much in it yeah we're recording this like what is it three days in to the uh the whole issue right that's happening right now with uh israel and hamas and the the war yeah it's uh it's pretty very disturbing to say the least so yeah um yeah i think i i see you know i i i something that comes to mind i i I can't quite recall but i think it was was either in Martin Amos's autobiography or in Christopher Hitchens' autobiography, um, but there was a uh, something that I remember that I, I remember that struck me, and I think it was about um, Martin Amos was taking Christopher Hitchens to meet Saul Bellow, hmm. and. Um, who you know martin amos re- revered um and you know was a sort of mentor to him and maybe almost like a father figure and uh and um and then who incidentally had a lot of strong views <clears throat> uh you know on 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 israel and the situation in israel and christopher hitchens who had a lot of strong views uh you know perhaps from another perspective um who was you know interested in uh you know was was more sympathetic to the palestinian cause and um and christopher hitchens who you know had had a uh, couldn't help himself often but you know be be a provocateur or a rabble rouser yeah. um and martin amos was you know on the way um you know trying to say you know no no you know don't please don't you know <laughs> yeah let's not get into a you know let's not get into anything here i just wanted this to be like a fun lunch you know like please like <laughs> he sort of said no no you know like no no sinister balls he said you know uh which was a phrase that they had between them meaning uh like no balls like you know like bullshit or uh you know uh yeah. uh you know basically like no don't you know he was saying to christopher hitchin no no uh you know please don't fuck this up for me basically don't fuck <laughs> up our lunch by getting into this by getting into this one topic which is like an intro the topic that is really a, an intractable problem and almost an intractable com- you know a conversation to to have and um but anyway the 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 uh the the, the phrase that stuck out with me and i can't remember who said it was it, it, it's something to do say 
you know, um, he said, um, it, it was about the, the phrase was thinking with, you know, thinking with their blood. Hmm. And, um, and it was in reference to, you know, people who, uh, attack this problem by thinking with their blood, meaning their, their ethnicity, their history, right. you know, associating themselves, you know, uh, with their, their, their Judaism, their background, their Jewishness, uh, you know, maybe not even their Judaism, you know, just their, 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 their Jewishness and sort of, you know, coming out on the side of Israel because they, you know, without really looking into it, you know, uh, objectively people just revert to positions where they think with their blood, like either on, 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 a, as an right. Arab or as a Jew or as anything in life, you know? Um, and, um, I've been seeing that. I just, you know, when these kinds of situations happen, you know, you, you just see that a lot. I mm -hmm. see it, you know what I mean? I, I was looking on, you know, uh, uh, my Instagram, which I just started. I just did one post. Uh, I we're very reluctant to go back on Instagram because I really dislike it. But uh, I, I, uh, I have been sort of bullied back into it. But anyway, I started to look at that again. And, uh, uh, you know, I see all these Jewish friends of mine posting, you know, Jewish flags and, you know, I stand with Israel and all this stuff. And, you know, um, and I just that the phrase thinking with your blood, thinking with their blood has just has come, come to mind today. Um, I think it's a substantial problem in the world. Yeah, for sure. And this project meditations on crime is really uh, taking different approaches to thinking about crime um, and, you know, how, the way that we perceive it and how our ideas of like crimes against us or crimes that are committed, uh, you know, the framework, um, the artificiality of it. There's all kinds of things. This is an extraordinarily ambitious project. Um, it includes a book, uh, with the same title, Meditations on Crime. We've got artwork and essays by a lot of major figures. We've got Miranda July, uh, Ben Okri, uh, Jerry Stahl, Cindy Sherman, Julian Schnabel, Raymond Pettibone. It also includes a self-titled album. Uh, it's got featuring Julia Holter, Gang Gang Dance, King Kong, Sunra Orchestra. And there's also a half-hour short film. So <laughs> this That's is right. a... This is quite ambitious, and it goes all the way back to the genesis, I believe, it was in 2016. So I wanted to start there. Um, could you just talk a bit about your original ideas behind this and then, and then how the project has evolved in reaction to what's happened politically in, in the U.S. since then? Oh, sorry. What was the last part? A react, reaction to? Well, how the, I believe you, you originally had the idea for this project in 2016, and then... I was wondering how, over the years, uh, it evolved. Assess the current political landscape as opposed yeah. to now, as opposed to then. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, um, a lot of the same issues and the same uh, figures are in play. So mm -hmm. I, I actually thought, you know, uh, yes, I mean, yeah, I did think of it. So, yeah, somewhere in 2016, um, I found myself wanting to try to do something. It just seemed like 
it was time to do something that addressed uh do something creative that addressed the political climate um with that new administration coming in and Mm -hmm. the whole year leading up to it and um and i found uh i was sort of I, I just didn't know what to do. And I also seemed to me that the culture at large was having a hard time knowing what to do from an artistic point of view. I mean, you know, the world is now fill, and maybe this is partly why it's hard to know what to do from an artistic point of view, but the, the world is, is, um, you know, uh, overwhelmed by, you know, chattering, uh, chattering people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, on uh, social media and the media, and uh, and and across p- multiple platforms, all sort of giving opinions, some erudite and interesting, and others just uh, really reductive. Uh, but all the time, that's coming at you, and so you know, uh. And it's very repetitive and, you know, one side says this, one side says that, and it's just being, you know, you're in an echo chamber and the other side's in an echo chamber. And um, I I, I just seemed like a, you know, I just seemed like I'd never tried to do anything overtly political, you know, from a creative point of view before. Hmm. Um, And I just didn't know quite what to do from my own, even though, you know, I, was pretty pretty clear in in my, my my ideological stances for myself i just you know i i mean i i think i grew up when i you know my and i grew up with a sense of um music um and film you know having a a, 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 a and literature and, and and visual arts having a um mm. you know i grew up in another time where where uh people made protest songs, you know, I grew right. up with protest songs from the, 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 from the, from the folk movement through, you know, hippie Vietnam, you know, protests to punk rock was essentially protest a lot. Well, some of it was, it became more, it became, you know, more of a political movement um i don't know that it exactly started that way um but uh all these forms uh from a musical point of view anyway and that's probably what how i was thinking in the beginning i was just thinking you know as a musician what am i going to do as a musician just seemed sort of ridiculous to do it you know i mean it was just sort of like you mean with all this you're going to you're trying to put out a pro an album of protest songs you know it just seems rather silly almost uh just because i don't know what the form means or how you do it and you just sound sort of redundant and sort of ridiculous because you hear this shit all the time you know like uh whatever people i I, you know anyway i didn't know what to do and i looked around i saw well what's this artist doing what's this artist have to say there's a a lot of people i just didn't seem to be saying much at all even though everybody was saying a lot uh, amongst themselves yeah. or on social media or whatever but from the arts i didn't see a lot um and uh so i thought you know then i had the idea well maybe i could just do collaborative maybe i could do something that was where i collaborated with people and sort of opened up 
opened up uh, you know a project where people could say what they want and I would be more providing the, the platform to do that than than actually making a lot of statements myself yeah. um, and uh, and then just seeing where it went and it, that 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 might be a you know kind of a fun excuse to work with people and collaborate people that I sort of like a, a nice reason to, to ask to just do a simple thing like hey let's do a one song together you know um and then so uh and then uh, i thought i wanted there to be a visual component and then I, I didn't realize it was going to end up being a 356 page book i just thought there would be <laughs> like a, <laughs> uh oh well, maybe I, if i'm going to do an album of collaborations with people maybe there should be a, like a a small book or some small uh, component uh, maybe i can make it just a, a beautiful package and maybe make a you know and and uh so i started to say okay so there could be at first i was just like i asked a few artists who i knew personally mm-hmm. um you know hey can i just have one image from you uh, well no actually i should take this back so first then i i was like well what should it be called what should, what is the like purpose or whatever you know right. and i had a few different titles uh, I didn't want it to be so like on the nose or so, you know, I didn't want it to be so, um, I didn't want it to be too obvious. I wanted it to be a little bit open, you know, right. so I, one of these titles again was meditations on crime, which, um, I figured that that would be sufficient to essentially address political concerns because, underneath crime uh often is a political dimension not necessarily perhaps uh, right because right. moral dimensions there's all sorts of different crimes there's there's all sorts there's, there could be anything there could be petty crime crimes of the heart and you know yeah, where right. crime intersects with morality sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't then there's all the nature of political crime and the system uh the penal system laws just laws unjust laws where they intersect with morality where they don't i mean anyway yeah. it's sorry i started to think well anyway if i just got meditation on crime people can people could use that to talk about political stuff but they could also it could be opened up to other things and sort of yeah. the broader yeah. sort of the better and then as i sort of it sort of kept growing and growing and became the sort of out of control behemoth of a project where I kept sort of asking more and more people to contribute things. It, um, it expanded beyond its, or, 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 you know, it's original intended political uh, purpose uh, per se, and into a kind of a more abstract philosophical uh, kind of piece. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, which I liked actually, uh, and I liked that even more. It became more of like an, uh, of an art piece, really, or an art project, really, because and less of a you know uh, you know a, a piece that was just like a, pro- a political protest piece. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like the difficulties of doing any kind of political artwork. You, you, there's the risk of getting overly didactic, heavy-handed, and as you said, on the nose. Um, I believe you had said something that you wanted to leave it very, very open uh, for interpretation for how these artists could approach it. Um, to and and so that kind of opened the um, or created the foundation for it to be more uh, more philosophical, a little more abstract. 
And in fact, you had said um, uh, in your mind, crime is politics and politics is crime. So could you elaborate a little further? Yeah, that right? seemed like a, that, that's been, yeah, like a, it's a, it's a snappy little quote, but I don't, <laughs> know, I don't know if we looked under the hood. If, I mean, yeah, I actually, no, I, um, well, yes, because um, it's hard to look at crime. It, it's hard to look at crime uh, in terms of, you know, um, uh, the, 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 the definition of crime that most people think of when they think of the word crime, which would be, you know, uh, our society, our country, our nation of laws, and, uh, you know, um, what's the definition of a criminal? Uh, someone committed a crime, they broke a law. Okay. You know, the, there, 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 there's actually, you know, we can look back to, you know, if you look through back deeper in the history, you know, we can, we can go way beyond that. But I mean, just to start there, um, it's hard to uh, try to look at, crime in that way without seeing the political dimension you know uh that we live in in, in, in a certain uh system and uh and you know crime ultimately is decided by what's a crime or what's not a crime is ultimately decided by the people in power and the people who enforce that power and essentially that's a, that's a that's 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 politics right. um you know uh a, poli- a crime is a crime against the state or a crime against the people who decide, you know, any given laws of society. Now there, there, there are a lot of those crimes um, are, you know, there's a huge consensus that they make sense and they intersect very much with morality or morality, sometimes uh, a religious version of morality and sometimes a non-religious version of morality. Uh, But, um, you know, there's also uh, crimes that are unjust. Uh, there are laws that are unjust, laws that get overthrown. Um, you know, if you're a if you're rebelling against a political uh, system, uh, if you're uh, a revolutionary, you know, um, you do not. You may commit crimes that you view are you know righteous or moral in their intent, and yeah. they be perceived as they. You may be you know punished as a criminal but you know the the morality uh is you know uh vague you know uh the situation is 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 is, well nebulous well in the book you cited so there's this incredible essay by uh the nigerian novelist and poet ben okri uh, and you, you've talked about that as being kind of the central piece for the book. It's titled "On Crime," um, and because it's extremely philosophical, um, you had said it, it set the tone, and and the book started to become less political and more more interesting. Um, was that essay already written, or was it written for the project? No, it was written for the project. Mm-hmm. Um, all the essays were written for the project, except Miranda July's actually, which was the one that was already printed in the New Yorker. Um, uh, but she offered it to me and it just fit so well that I allowed it. But, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, all the all the essays were meant to be original. So Ben wrote that for the for the for the book, and then I thought it was so sort of encapsulating, and um, because it you know delves deep into the history of 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 human you know interaction, it delves deep into history. Um, oh yeah. You know, it seemed to be uh, uh, almost like an introduction. So I sort of did, it did become sort of a centerpiece in my mind. Um, and I sort of figured that Ben would go that deep into it, having known Ben as a, been a friend for, for many years. Uh, but then, of course, you know, as other essays came in, you know, they, they, they went, they, 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 they went um, you know, from, you know, Miranda July's is quite light and it's just about her being a shoplifter as a teenager. And it's quite kind of light and uh, funny. And then there is Janine Giovanni, who's a famous war correspondent writing about, you know, uh, uh, Milosevic war crimes and her experience and you know she's had a lifetime covering you know conflict um and it's quite an intense essay um so you know it went really all over the place and i quite quite like that about the project oh for sure yeah um i i was really struck by on crime in particular um uh it, it just really kind of like shuffled the deck in my mind about how to perceive crime and and you know beyond like human boundaries you know or societal boundaries um and you know i i think the kind of the, the the center thesis of it is like crime essentially mirrors us what we consider crime is just mirroring uh you know our society i i would agree with that i, I agree with ben's uh all, all ben's positions on there i mean i think it's brilliantly written and there's many uh i don't have it in front of me we could talk uh endlessly about any number of points he makes in his essay yeah no it it it, it really uh is quite moving and really deep um and it just goes so much further than just sort of the kind of law you know, very you know straightforward law and order idea of what crime is um but let's talk about more about the visual art in the book. So, you know, you, you had, you, you talked about how you had this idea of an accompanying book with art, and then you've, you enlisted your friend, uh, Jonah Freeman from the art team, uh, Freeman Lowe as a co-curator. So, uh, just talk about how that came together. Cause you, and about some of these such ways that he helped to bring in, um, a large amount of artists, artists that you didn't necessarily have direct access to. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, it, it, it occurred to me. Um, yeah. I mean, I started the project and um, you know, it just, and, and Jonah uh, and Justin uh, Freeman Lowe, um, you know, I, 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 I'm friendly, I'm friends with him. So with them. So I, I asked them just to contribute some images at first. And then um, I started to realize that I didn't really have enough uh access to artists or uh, or knowledge of the 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 scope of contemporary artists um to include and i needed somebody 
uh, I needed somebody to help. I, you know, I asked Jonah if he would come and co curate and bring in, bring in artists because I had Cindy Sherman, I had Tracy Emin, I had, um, Aaron Rose, I had a few people, um, but, uh, you know, I, I needed somebody who was really, you know, immersed in one, the contemporary art scene, you know, and just knew people to ask and had good ideas of people to ask. And, and, and also, you know, there, uh, there was just so much to do. Uh, I was curating the essays and I was also writing the music and trying to write, write the songs and collaborate with the music. It was yeah. like, I really needed a friend to come help me with some of it. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and I really didn't feel, um, I didn't really feel like I adequately could like really get into the, the I, I'm just, cause I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not a visual artist and I don't operate in the contemporary art world. Right. So I asked Jonah and, um, and, and he, you know, thankfully uh, agreed and uh, to do it. And he then brought it, started to bring in all sorts of interesting artists, some that I knew their works, you know, and many I didn't. And he just started to, you know, bring in, you know, uh, artists that he thought was appropriate from his, you know, group of his contemporaries and his friends. So he brought in all sorts of people. Um, uh, Nate Lohman, he brought in uh, uh, Julian Schnabel. Um, he brought in um, Raymond, Raymond Pettibone. Raymond right. Pettibone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, so, yeah, that, that that's how that happened. Pettibone seems like w- was one of the most exciting artists for you to get for this project because he he did this original portrait of John Dillinger, which is on the album cover, correct? And then, you know, the you you connect so much with his work because it goes back to your your love of the the work that he did for like Black Flag and Sonic Youth, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, I I didn't know Raymond Pettibone personally. Um, you know. Um, but I, you know, I was a fan for a long time and grew up, uh, you know, listening to certain albums that his art was associated with. Um, and, um, you know, he was a good client and, and of course the nature of his work is very much, very political and very, and often very much about some aspect of crime actually. And, um, yeah, no, that was cool. And then he did this 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 drawing of John Dillinger, the bank robber John Dillinger, who he said was his childhood hero. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and um, you know, that was great. And because also, you know, only a, a few people gave me original work, but it, you know, we it wasn't really feasible to have artists make that much original work for a book. You know, um, yeah. so you know, most of uh, of the art. Um, or you know, you know, m- most of the art I would say is you know uh, or, or licensed images from people's bodies of work, and um, uh, some did make interesting new new pieces for the book, though. Um, and all the other songs and essays are all original for the book, but a lot of the art uh, is licensed. And, but uh, and then there's a you know there's ephemera in there that came. Um, there's there's all sorts of different things that added to the to the book visually. Um, but yeah, that was great. That was great. Um, it was great that he got Raymond Pettibone, you know, I really, uh, uh, that was a, that was a big, uh, a, a big get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the impression that I got. Um, just reading your own thoughts about the whole process, but, um, yeah. Uh, so Although sometimes some of the stuff, you know, I mean, he's a, 
real provocateur and actually oh, he sort sure. of he sort of can sometimes provoke me in a way where i am <laughs> get irked actually <laughs> sometimes i am i am myself uh, in fact uh uh i remember at one point um uh yeah because there's one piece in the book that says um something like uh You know, something like OD a hippie and fuck New Yorkers or something like fuck New York. Yeah, or something like that. I and I said, um, uh, I was like, get that fucking out, get that out. <laughs> I said, get that out, man. I'm from New York. Fuck Raymond Hayward. <laughs> and I basically consider myself a hippie. <laughs> so fuck you anyway. You know, it's fucking pretentious. And, you know, there'd be no fucking blah, 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 blah. In my mind, you know, he can get me or take. But, and then I said, take that out. I don't, you know, fuck New Yorkers. No. And, and you live in New York, fucking, you know. And, um, uh, but then they forgot to take it out. And then I forgot to remind them. So it's in oh. there. <laughs> <laughs> you conveniently forgot to remind them. I love it. All right. Yeah. I, uh, I saw a, like a big retrospective of his work a few, a few years ago at the, the new museum. And um, I just, I didn't even realize the, the vast scope. It's not just the, you know, like the, the band flyers and the, you know, the, the album artwork. I mean, he's also, uh, you know, as a painter, he, he, he paints a lot of surfing and there's, there's such yeah, a, those are beautiful. yeah, there, there's a huge range. So the, there's a lot of, uh, he's a provocateur. There is a lot of in your face, um, you know, very kind of political, angry statements, but then there's this uh, meditative quality to a lot of his work as well. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I suppose so. I, 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 um, I mean, um, uh, I don't know, meditative. I mean, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, you mean in the sense that anybody is meditative? In a, well, I don't know. I, I think I, mean, I don't know what I, you mean. Exactly. I think I'm, I'm thinking more of his surfing. Uh, very large scale works of surfers on waves and there's still text um but i just i mainly had at that point had known him from you know his works with bands five flowers yeah yeah exactly exactly and also she different ones but yeah so Uh, you go on the book also includes a conversation that you had along with brian butler with the the legendary underground filmmaker kenneth anger so I wanted to talk to you about that because that was a great, um, that was a great get, you know, as you'd said earlier, especially since he passed away earlier this year. And it kind of, uh, it also made me think about how with, with the album, you worked with the, the legendary music producer, Hal Wilner, right? With uh, the Sun Ra. Yes. And who also uh, passed away from COVID. But, um, and Hal, we'll, Hal did, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hal did. Right. Um, but going back to, to Kenneth Anger. So, uh, yeah, let's just talk about that. How did that come together? Um, and why did you want to in- include him? Uh, well, uh, I was friends with Brian Butler who, um, for many years sort of managed Kenneth's, uh, as, as an artist. Um, and, uh, he was very close. Um, Brian was, you know, kind of like a son to him, I guess. Um, but for many years, Brian had been sort of looking after Kenneth uh, and uh, his appearances and uh, sales of his work and stuff like that. You know, I mean, Kenneth was already in his nineties. Yeah. Um, so I, I uh, and I, you know, I was, you know, a, a fan of Kenneth Inger's uh, short films there, you know, or, 
way ahead of their time and beautiful and, you know, really you know, historical and important. And a lot of them also have to do with, well, um, well, people who would be considered deviants or outsiders. Yes, yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And yeah, way uh, ahead uh, of their time, especially yeah. the, the, his first right fireworks. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's incredible. What is that from like late forties? Right. Yeah. And it's very, uh, you know, just homoerotic it's you know it was something that would, would at that time would have been viewed very radically as a very you know uh, provocative yeah. piece um so yeah i i just asked um i asked brian if we could just have a conversation with kenneth i you know i taped it and i edited it um you know uh it's um but kenneth is very um he was a very soft-spoken guy, actually. He, you know, his, mm-hmm. his, his, um, you know, he, he was, um, you know, he's very sort of, um, uh, I, I don't know. He was almost as kind of a shy interview subject, actually, in a way. That kind of comes uh, across just in the printed version. <laughs> he, he doesn't talk yeah. that much, actually. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it was just his way, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. But um, anyway, I was very honored to have him in the book for sure. And uh, and then, of course, you know, it might have been, might be the last interview he gave. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not totally sure about that, but um, um, this might be the last printed interview of, uh, of Kenneth Anger, um, who then was really a quite, you know, appropriately, I mean, when he died, I, I thought, you know, was quite, you know, regarded appropriately as a really as an important artist in the, in, in, in the, of the 20th century. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you, you'd asked him if um, he found morality banal or if he, if he had a moral code and he said, of course I've got a moral code. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not in favor of violence. I dislike crime. Um, and, you know, he, but he had known a number of I was criminals. sort of surprised by that. actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, he had what what really kind of blew my mind. I didn't know this about him, but he had lived with um, that that one of the the Manson family murderers, Bobby yeah, Bobby um, Bosley. Bosley, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the way that he talked about him was like, well, you know, he he was generally a good guy, except he made this really big mistake of of murder, you know. And then yeah, and he actually mistake. got but Bobby Bosley's score is not. I'm trying to remember which one it is, but he scores one of the short films and he scored it from prison. He like made that music yeah, in prison. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> which is yeah. kind of kind of pretty badass to get him to do that in a way. In another way, I've never particularly been somebody who's been, you know, uh I'm not like a fan of the Manson family particularly. <laughs> uh, so I'm not some yeah. people are really, you know. Well, I, I definitely didn't get the family, impression. The Soup's Manson family is super cool, but I, I'm not really one of those people. But I, I do think I, uh, Anger is super cool. <laughs> it didn't sound like Anger was necessarily a fan either. You know, he he really, um, he had a sense of of morality. I would say, you know. Um, well, I mean, you know, he he said he did, and I guess he did, you know, but because he was a devotee of Aleister Crowley, and yeah. uh, you know, was sort of notorious for his um, occult um, 
leanings and his, you know, I mean, he is somebody who did have Satan tattooed across his chest in large block letters. Um, you know, I, I just thought that perhaps uh, an Aleister Crowley certainly was not somebody who you would consider a one of the great moralists of the 20th century. So being a devotee of Aleister Crowley, I, I sort of was curious if he, you know, his about his um, positions on, uh, you know, on whether or not he what his what his opinions were on you know a moral code i guess that's sort of why i asked him that but it turns out he was much more conventional in that way than we might have imagined i got the impression that he even though he was you know very interested in the occult and lucifer uh and there's different interpretations of you know the devil and lucifer as not necessarily being pure evil or more of a of a, a rebel right somebody who rebels against the order. So I can see, you know, his, the appeal of like the occult and Lucifer to somebody like, like Kenneth Anger. Terry, he probably had Lucifer across his chest tattooed, not Satan, but anyway, same thing. <laughs> anyway, just, well, Lucifer was like the, <laughs> I think the origins of that name is like the, the bringer of light. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There, there are just, uh, um, you know, unique interpretations of like the, uh, the, the place for, you know, Satan or Lucifer in, in the sense of like the moral universe. Anyway, it's honestly, good to have one Satan worshiper at the party. You know what I mean? I was what's that? Of, it's good. Just good to have one Satan worshiper at the party. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, sure. That's always good. <laughs> one other thing too, is I love, I love the, this just, he just kind of threw out this story about he, how he got into the Pentagon. Yeah. That was like weird. wandered into the Pentagon. <laughs> And then you, I think you asked him what he, he did. They scroll. I, I did. He said, I wrote yeah. my name on the bathroom wall or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, that, that, that was wonderful that you were able to yeah, get Yeah. He him. was down there for the whole, you know, Abby Hoffman, Yippee, yeah. uh, raised the Pentagon happening, you know, in, in the late 60s. It was a sort of Yippee event. Yeah. Not yeah. sure if you're familiar with that event, but he was there with those people, you know. Um, and then just sort of wandered in like a tourist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds like he, he, he just wound up in a lot of unexpected, unexpected places in his life in general. <clears throat> he definitely got around and knew a lot of people. Yeah. Well, you know, RIP Ken's anger and, you know, and RIP, uh, Hal Wilner and, uh, also Danny Ray Thompson from the, uh, Sunra orchestra. He died since the project was done. Mm. So there's been a few people who, you know, uh, I mean, Kenneth and Danny were, you know, quite old, but Hal was not, he died of COVID right in the middle of, of this all. And that was a big shock to me. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, well, so getting into the album, um, could you talk about how you connected with all of these musicians and then you, how you collaborated, how you developed songs with them? Um, you did retain a consistent backing band from what I've read for most of the tracks to kind of keep a sense of cohesion. Um, but then just what was the overall dynamic with working with this vast variety of musicians and kind of trying to get some, some kind of co- somewhat cohesive, like, collection of of music that continues on the theme of the project 
Yeah, and I don't know that I succeeded in that uh, <laughs> way. I don't know that I. I mean, I don't know that I succeeded in making in making something that cohesive. It was pretty. It was sort of hard work to make it cohesive in a way. Um, but uh, uh, well, it came about like uh, I, I was. Um, I was just working on different like song structures and guitar pieces and stuff like that for like, just, just, just writing, you know, music and demoing stuff. And I was living in Laurel Canyon at that time. And, um, and I started to think like, um, and I had all these sort of acoustic guitar, sort of softer, you know, more more folkier stuff. And then I had these sort of, you know, more either loud or sort of experimental or more like a bit more like from the punk rock records of my youth. And, um, and, and those kinds of tracks, in a way, I like to write them and I like to play them, but I find a hard, I find it very hard to, to front them as a singer. It's just mm-hmm. not. So um, I like to do them, um, but I, it's not—it's not my voice isn't very suited for that. You know, I'm kind of a soft singer. So I thought to use those kinds of tracks uh, was a—it was a good way for me to use the, that kind of um, those kinds of uh, musical compositions and you know to more kind of different genre stuff that. Um, and then uh, give them to other singers to sing, you know, to, or to write over. So yeah. that's mostly how it came about. Mostly is that I, um, uh, I had different um, musical structures. I had different song structures. And I had demos, you know, and I, I'd send them to people to write over. And uh, then they'd write over them themselves. But not all. Uh, some of them came and I co-wrote. Some, sometimes I co-wrote um some some lyrics and a bit of melody and mm-hmm. sort of help guide the songwriting along like geneva jacuzzi and i quite did it together uh but you know really i was sort of like here's your here's the canvas here's the music you know write what you want say what you want meditations on crime right you know and um and then people would do that and they'd write and then you know eventually we went into the studio into rob schnapp's studio in eagle rock and they put down the tracks in earnest with uh uh carla azar on drums and boslin chanton on the bass and me on the guitar and that was sort of the like basic sort of backing band for most of the songs and then people would come in and sing um and then uh uh but not all of them like went that way because the, not well, not the Sun Ra Orchestra or uh, yeah. or the one I did with Julia Halter and Geologist from Animal Collective. I didn't mm-hmm. that one. I just I just co-wrote lyrics with Julia on that. I didn't play. I said I'm just not this. That came from a kind of atmospheric ambient piece that Geologist sent in, and Julia mm-hmm. started. And, and I just decided I won't add any guitar to this, and this will be the one where I actually I just I'm like, I'll just co-write lyrics with you, and I'll stay off, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the Sonar Orchestra, I, I sort of wrote. I'd never written any jazz pieces before, but so that was quite intimidating. Um, but I came up with two uh, sort of melodic jazz motifs um, for them to play the motifs and then improvise around. And that I went, I flew, we went, I went to Philadelphia where they all live and how right. 
set that up for me because he had worked with them many, many times and loved them. And uh, I knew that Hal had, I mean, I knew his work with them. And so I asked Hal to do that, if he could set that up for me. And he did, which was very thrilling because I was a long time Summer Orchestra fan. And also I'd never co-produced anything with Hal, who I'd, who I'd known for 20 years. <clears throat> the rest of the music I produced myself, but that those sessions with with Marshall Allen and the Summer Orchestra and Hal and Terry Adams from NRBQ, who just showed up. Huh. I, and, and, and overdubbed piano on it. I didn't even know he was coming, uh, which was also thrilling. Um, yeah, the, so so they, they all came together in different ways. And the R.L. Pink one came about in another way, too. Uh, then I, we, we sort of just sort of came up with the, the, the track in the studio together. And um, but so they, they, they came, they came up, they came in different ways. But that's, 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 that's sort of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a very organic kind of process, kind of similar to how the way the art came together. It sounds like in in some ways. Um, yeah, in the sense that you know, one I I knew most of the I knew most of the, I mean, like they weren't all some some of the people I met sort of as I came along, and some some I still haven't met, like King Khan. No, I've been I haven't met him in person. He lives in Berlin, you know. Um, some people we uh, you know it was done remotely, and um, you know I didn't know or. Ian Svenonius, who ended up coming on and being my friend, I didn't know him. Um, and Ariel, I really only met once or twice. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a thing where one person sort of led to the next and led to the next. And then it was sort of like, well, who, who, who do we have this kind of person <laughs> now? Who, who could we add to this? We don't have, we don't have anything represented over here. We don't have, you know, so, um, yeah, but that's just, you know, how that's the nature of these kinds of projects. Yeah. Yeah. Well then let's segue into the, into this film because um, it does use music from the album and then also, so it's narrated by uh, Catherine Waterston um, who's reading excerpts from the, the, the Ben Oakery essay on crime that we just uh, were talking about. Um, and so it's about, it's about a half hour long and it, it it's pretty striking. There's a lot of archival footage. Um, there's old interviews with uh, prison inmates. There's, you know, uh, CT, CCTV footage of crimes. There's a um, original footage, uh, you know, fe- featuring a lot of. Uh, uh, we have original footage with uh, what is it, Camilla Doring? Yes, yes. And then, correct. and then this guy OJ San Felipe. Um, <laughs> yeah. who who is that exactly i don't know <laughs> you know <laughs> he, he he was a uh, jonah's friend and he came and he was part of the crew okay um, and and uh and, and jonah just um uh slotted him in there <laughs> yeah yeah but, you know, so- we took over this prison yeah we we, we 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 took this location we got this abandoned prison in upstate new york very grim and weird yeah, and we took it over as a location um but uh that's kind of related to jonah freeman's other work in film he's done a lot of sort of you know freeman Lowe do these amazing installation pieces and they often um and they do film work where they um they're often um filmed in abandoned uh industrial sites and uh, abandoned buildings and you know he likes yeah. that meal so this abandoned prison was sort of in keeping with his aesthetic his film aesthetic uh but 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 um yeah so 
I, uh, I, I, I wanted to do, I mean, this is just, yeah, it's just this like uh, project that just went completely out of control where I just kept adding more and more elements and more and more expense um, to, yeah. to, to this project. Um, but, you know, uh, because they're the music and then, you know, my manager and record label, you know, people were sort of like, oh, you're going to make music videos, you know? And I was like, I don't really want to make music videos, you know? Uh, <laughs> Uh, I just don't feel like making music videos. I just don't know what music videos mean anymore. Although Pazlin Shanton, the actress, she made one for the Geneva Jacuzzi song because she felt really inspired to do it. And I was sort of happy to let her run with that and contribute to the project. But mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that. And I thought, well, instead of doing music videos and spending money on these this form that is kind of tired, in my opinion mm-hmm. um why don't we just use the use the money we take for that and make like a short a short art film and we can incorporate music from the project into the film and it would give me a chance to do a little bit of you know um to 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 be creative in film as opposed to me just like having some video director come and right. know, make a music video and because i liked jonah freeman's um art films I sort of asked if I could, I kind of like, um, you know, kind of came in on his coattails in a sense um, to help to, to co, uh, you know, helm this, uh, like a short film project. But um, so, and, and like, you know, I, cause I wanted his, um, you know, he, he this, the original stuff he shot, you know, I wanted, I like, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, I wanted an element of his, you know, the kind of film stuff he does with Freeman Lowe. But I also said, Oh, I think what if we, you know, use a lot of um, stock footage, you know, archival footage, um, and uh, uh, and I also thought, what if we use, um, you know, Ben's essay or excerpts, uh, pieces from Ben's essay because, uh, um, you know, it's kind of perfect. And uh, and then I, Catherine Waterston is a really great actress, and she's my friend, so I asked her as a favor to to to, to narrate it. And, uh, so we sort of conceived it together and then I, I shot some stuff too, like all the, uh, um, all the footage where I just went around my neighborhood in Skid Row and, uh, in downtown LA. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, well, that's sort of how that came about. And then it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I was really pleased with how it turned out and then we got to premiere it at, at, at MOCA at the, at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles. And so that was really cool. Uh, I was really happy. Oh, for sure. That. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, going back to the on crime essay, it was a great way to uh, further showcase that the, the essay, which is kind of like in a lot of ways that we've been talking about the centerpiece of the whole project um, and to kind of put it into a different form with, uh, you know, the narration under these images. And actually a lot of it reminded me kind of, of like, you know, you know, Adam Curtis, the documentarian, like I was watching a lot of Adam Curtis at that time I was going down a bit of an Adam Curtis. Road. <laughs> I, got kind of, I was like, huh, maybe we can, maybe, yeah, sure. You know, it's yeah. Through. No, I mean, the, stuff, you know, it, it's got this kind of, it's this mix up of what he does and a lot of his work, this kind of pop culture imagery, then old cartoons, got old video games, and then, you know, juxtaposed with this uh, actual footage of violence and scenes of poverty and death. And uh, so, you know, it's very powerful in that sense. 
Um, there were also mentions of this LSS data systems and I think Limborg security systems. Well, that was a, a fictional are. invention of Jonah. That okay. was a, that's that, that's a, uh, we, then we got into this idea when we took over the prison, we were like, let's make this into a kind of an infomercial for a kind of futuristic fictional, uh, private prison, uh, like, like an investment pitch. <laughs> So I love it. Yeah. Like uh, yeah. Well, the, the way it's presented this, at least to me, that wasn't that clear. I wasn't sure if it oh. was that they were making a commentary oh, on good. actual that's existing better. organizations, but they do exist. Well, there are. We were. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also the this the Crime Seeds song from Gang Gang Dance uh, was used really well. That was, I think, primarily used throughout. I felt like that that worked, that fit really well with the narration and the imagery. Um, it seems to be like the mo- one of the more well. It's, it seems to be the most streamed one I've noticed. Um, so I don't know something about that that song. You know, maybe uh, yeah. No, I, I was really yeah. I was I was pleased with that song. Um, uh, but all all the songs on the record are in there for 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 a bit. One other thing I noticed in the credits um, was Lydia Lunch. What was her involvement with the project? <laughs> Well, she's in there. She's um, she's in there, and she's talking in the in the in the in the over this uh, over one of the tracks. She's talking. Oh, all right, all right. Word thing, um, which is something she contributed to me, but that I stripped off the album. Uh, I stripped it off the track. And, oh, okay, all right. I, I, I didn't uh, want to use it, but um, it kind of worked in the context of the film. So um, she's in there in the film. I mean, she, her, 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 uh, her spoken word piece is, is uh, in the film. Uh, well, actually it's really, a, if you want, the truth is it's, it's a, it's a cut up of her spoken word piece where I okay. cut it up to be more ridiculous than it actually was just kind of to fuck with things and fuck with her, frankly. Well, you know, she's so prolific and has been around for so long. I felt like uh, when her name popped up in the credits, it just, it just kind of made sense. It, also, she would wind up in this massive project somehow as well, you know, um, with all the kind of subversive work she's done over the years. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought so, but in the end, I I I, I, I took it out pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Well, so she came from Jerry Stahl. She was because Jerry Stahl was uh, we were we were writing partners for a while on something uh, in a faded project, and uh, and she, Jerry Stahl and Lydia were doing readings together around town. And so hmm. uh, I sort of met her through Jerry. Yeah, I um. I interviewed this uh, filmmaker, Beth B, who did a full-length documentary called Lydia Lunch, The War is Never Over. It's just a whole... Right. I saw that that on Criterion Collection, perhaps. I mean, I didn't see the film. I saw that it was streaming. Yeah, well, you know, I had known, you know, about Lydia before, but I mean, it's an incredibly comprehensive film, and it was really like, wow, the scope of her work and, you know, what she's been through. Um, So I, I wound up interviewing the filmmaker who has known her, known Lydia for, you know, 40 plus 45 years, probably at this point. 
you know, met her in downtown New York in the late seventies. So, yeah. But I just, I had to ask you about, about Lydia when I, when I saw that. (laughs) So, um, does it, does this feel finished to you or, (laughs) um, I mean, it's out there now and it was years in the making. Um, yeah, but it was pretty much done, um, right before COVID hit. Okay. So it sat on the shelf then for a couple years, you know, and, um, and then when we returned back to it, when things started to pick up again, uh, I did a whole bunch more work on it. And so it's, it was for sure years, but there was a big, um, gap in the middle there do i think that it's done um i mean yeah it's done it's done done. i mean it's a beautiful um there's a beautiful box that we made um uh that brian rodinger designed and where you can have the, the, the book and the vinyl um come in the box and uh so you know, and the book will be out in store. It's already out in some stores. You can buy it at Arcana in LA, and you can buy it through Hatton Beard, uh, our publisher, Hatton Beard, through their site. And it's going to be out in the book, will be in stores. The music's out in the world. You can buy it. I would prefer you buy it, but you could also listen to it on Spotify. <laughs> and, um, uh, and yeah, and we've, we've done some cool events around it. And we did, I did a couple shows where most of the people involved came and sang their songs and stuff like that. And, um, that was fun. And we have one more event coming up in November in New York at the Roxy theater. We're going to show the film, um, and perhaps another film by John Freeman and, um, and oh, wow. yeah, we did Mocha. We did a couple gigs. We, um, I did, you know, I was at the book fairs, the printed matter book fair in LA and the, uh, at the Tate in London. I we did rough trade and did a show there in London. Uh, we were at the Venice Biennale. Uh, so it's, we've sort of done a bunch of things and there's still one to come and maybe more to come. I mean, I wouldn't mind continuing to do more in, in other, in other cities or more events if they make sense. Do you know yet when the the Roxy show is in New York? I be, uh, well, I, at the, I believe it's going to be November tenth, but I, you, you can't quote me on that because it's not quite um, locked. Gotcha. But in early November, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, All right. I, I, I want to say November tenth. November tenth. Okay. Well, I want to mention to listeners that for every one of these podcasts, I put up a page on the Interlocutor Magazine site where I'll, I'll have links um, to your, to the site for this project. And, um, you know, with any further dates that are solidified, I can update that so people can check back onto the page. Thank curious you. About. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, the, you, you answered a bunch of questions I was going to ask you about, what, because this, there's, there's so much to this material, you know, I, I, I knew about the mocha showing, but I'm like, this could be, you know, is it going to be performing it? What's happening with it? And it sounds like it's already manifested out in the world. In various Somewhat. Ways. I mean, not, yeah. you know, there's a lot of places where we haven't gone yet. I mean, yeah. I'd, like, I'd love to go back. I might, hopefully I might do something at the Dublin library. I like, we haven't gone to Paris yet. Um, hmm. 
uh, where there's been some talk of doing something in Mexico City. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's rolling. It's a rolling uh, uh, project. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really, you know. <laughs> well, it's rolling I, I, along it for years. Might as well just keep rolling. It's rolling along for years, but now it's rolling <laughs> along, you know, in its release. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, listen, it was great talking with you, Harper. Yeah, it was great talking with you. I, I really, I really enjoyed like the the curation on your on of your of your podcast and on your site, and, oh, and you, I appreciate you you delving so deeply into into my project and and asking such thoughtful questions. Oh well, good. Well, it's my pleasure. Um, yeah, no, I mean when 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 this was brought to me, I, I it was literally like, well, I I gotta I gotta I gotta talk to this guy about this, like the the scope of it, um, and its relevancy and everything. Um, and you know yeah so i'm glad we got to talk about it um and thanks a lot to everyone out there listening you can find us online at interlocutorinterviews.com also instagram at interlocutor.interviews visit our youtube channel if you're a fan of our arts coverage you can sign up to be a subscriber donate via patreon just click on the patreon link on our site and i'll be back soon with another interlocutor interviews podcast episode (laughs) 